Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you all tonight. Glad you can make it. Kind of exciting. Let's uh, take a few moments and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time and proceed. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a time to gather and a time to hear from you. I pray that we would be open to receive all that you want to pour out tonight. I just ask that you would challenge uh, some of our ideas. And I pray that you would challenge us into a better place tonight and that we'd respond to you appropriately to your challenge. We'd respond to your nudging and respond, God, to your leading tonight. I just ask you that uh, we would uh, really have a desire and allow that desire in our hearts to move us forward in you. And so uh, have your way. I pray you speak. I ask you, God, that we would... Just be open, not only to receive your word, but to see something happen in us before we leave this place tonight. God, thanks for being here. Uh, We thank you for, again, this opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. Thank you for being here, Jesus. We ask it in your strong name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, there's some available here. If you need one, uh, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. Luke 6, verses 35 and 36. Someone like to read that for us tonight? All right, so what we have here, verse 35 is a definition, or what I believe to be a definition of mercy. Uh, After he gets through talking about all of these things that he says they're loving your enemies, doing good, lending, expecting nothing in return, uh, all of that, and then he gives the command, he says, then be merciful. In other words, that's what mercy is, what he just describes there. And I think it's important for us to have some kind of a working definition of mercy because we are recipients of mercy and it seems to be good that we would know what mercy looks like. We would know how to recognize it Uh, because one of the advantages of knowing how to see something and how to recognize it when it comes our way is that it opens up an opportunity for us to rejoice in it. I mean, God may be pouring out mercy into your life all the time, but if you're not recognizing it and you're not looking at it for what it is, it may be difficult to really rejoice in something that you've never defined. And so I, I think it's important for us to have that, to have that, <coughs> that working definition of what mercy is. It, words don't mean just what you want them to mean. I, I, I just want to say that uh, just as a... Almost a side note, but directly involved in what we're doing here tonight. Just because you want a word to mean something doesn't mean that's what it means. And you can say, well, it means that to me. Well, that's fine, but that's ineffective communication for the rest of us. Because if you're just making up your own meanings to words, and then you speak to other people who don't share in those meanings, then you're just speaking gibberish. You understand what I'm saying by that? Yeah. Yeah. So, because I'm not speaking gibberish, so we have common meanings on a lot of our words, and so we're able to communicate. We're able to understand it. Yes? Are we still in a postmodern society? I don't know if anybody even knows what that means anymore. (laughs) So let's say doubtfully, (laughs) because I'm not sure anybody could define that if they had to. It's the we're yeah we're in a post thinking society. There you go. Yeah, you just say whatever you want. It doesn't have to mean anything. Yeah, and everybody will be like, oh yeah, yeah, heart that. Yeah, yeah, I heart that. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag deep thought. Yeah, there it was. Okay, so so the definition of mercy. We're coming up with 
this is what mercy is. This is what it looks like. This is how it's fleshed out. In other words, if we're going to be merciful, which the Bible tells us that we should be merciful, these are some of the qualities of being merciful. Now, another word for merciful is kind, being kind. And, and you may not relate those two words together, but in Bible times, and which is when this was written, those two words were related. Being kind and being merciful were, in many ways, the same idea. And so if you have a different version of the Bible than uh, was just read out of, you may have the word kind there instead of merciful. Or vice versa. So... It just depends on who translated it and who was explaining what they were trying to mean because in their understanding of the word, those two things went together. So God is kind is God is merciful. Be kind just as God is kind. So what does that kind of kindness, what does that kind of mercy look like? Well, it looks like verse 35. And so let's look at verse 35. We're going to look at some of the words that's used in there. It begins with something that says, uh, love your enemies or love those who oppose you. Kind of an interesting word is enemy because it's hard for us to really understand what the Bible means by enemy sometimes. I think we have an idea of what it could be. Uh, for us, an enemy could be someone who doesn't like us. Or an enemy could be someone who disagrees with us. Or an enemy could be someone that uh, has said bad things about us. Or What's that? It could be, that could be our, 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 our mortal enemy could be someone who cuts us off in traffic because they have inconvenienced us. Right? So that could be our enemy. In the idea of enemies in the Bible, we're looking at someone who actually opposes us. They're in opposition to something that we're doing. And so I want to work with that kind of a definition of an enemy. It's someone that is actually opposing us. Someone that's lined up against us and is working against what we're doing, where we're going. Is working against who we are. Right? Not someone that inconveniences us necessarily or someone that doesn't like us or whatever other definitions we may have. The, our enemy is someone who actually opposes us. And the way that this is written isn't a one-time deal. Because I, I think sometimes we like to read these verses, uh, love your enemies. Okay, I loved them, God, once. Now I hate them. That's not what the word means. Okay, That's not how it's written. What it's written as is a perpetual abiding rule of action. I'll say that again. It's written as a perpetual abiding rule of action. Can we kind of love them? As long as it's a perpetual <laughs> abiding rule of action. In other words, you keep loving. Keep loving. And the idea behind this verse is that everybody knows, everybody knows. You do not have to say this. We all know that this is not natural. Everybody knows that. It is not natural to love those who oppose you. It's not natural. We know that. All right? So let's, 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 let's jump that hurdle together. Not natural. Love your not natural. Love your enemies. We know Jesus knows it's not natural. God knows it's not natural. Go ahead and jump that hurdle. Get over it. Don't get stuck on that one. There's plenty of hurdles in front of you to get stuck on. Don't get stuck on the first hurdle. Well, that just seems unnatural. Yes, it is unnatural. It is not normal human understanding and or behavior to love those that are opposing you. So hop on over that one. We're all in agreement of that. We're all in agreement. Not natural. Not normal. All right. Get over that. We're over that one. All right. So the idea behind it is that 
God is desiring that we become what we're not now. In other words, we're not that way. Why? Because it's not natural. If you say to somebody, eat food, that's a natural thing. Drink water nat- or liquids, that's a natural thing. You don't really need to tell people that. Go to the bathroom, natural function. You don't need to tell people that. They figure that out. Babies figure out, like not, not even knowing anything. They could never survive on their own when they're first born. But they can figure out a couple things. One, you got to eat and you're going to poop. They get that. Natural. Completely human natural things that they figure out they need to do right away. This is not natural. So it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen that you're going to go out and start loving your enemies and loving those who oppose you on a regular basis. It is an unnatural act. But you can do it. What are some unnatural acts that human beings can do? Give me something. What would be an unnatural act that a human being can do? Healing, okay, that's a supernatural act, but it can be done as God would work through you. But what about just a physical thing? Speaking in a language. You're not born knowing how to speak in a language. And depending on where you're born, you will speak whatever language that you grow up hearing. It is a learned behavior. You learn how to speak in a language. Okay, what's another thing? Okay, well, that's kind of a natural act. In other words, if you are in a car wreck and they have, you know, they have uh, uh, testimonies of, of people that, like moms, that their kids stuck in a car and they're able to pick the car up and the kid can get out or whatever, that, that's something that happens. That uh, it's somewhere deep within human beings we have an adrenaline reserve that can kick in and we can do really amazing feats of strength. I'm thinking something else. Okay. That is an unnatural act. What would be the natural act? Leave. Right. <laughs> so, so the unnatural act is a learned behavior and a decision that's made. So we, it's a learned behavior that we'll sit there and we'll listen. How about, there's a quote from a movie from uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, when they're about to jump out of a perfectly good aircraft. You remember that? It, to, to jump out of a perfectly good aircraft. Right. It's not a natural act to jump out of an airplane or a helicopter that is five to 10,000 feet above the earth. That is not a natural act. Can people do it, though? Yeah, and they do. They do. How? How do you do that? Yeah. You know, you go to classes. You learn what needs to happen. You you get tested in it. Then you know what you need to do. And then you go up there, and then you do it. It's based on a decision. It's based on a certain amount of learning a certain decision that is made, and then you go out and you defy your fear or whatever it would be that would hold you back from jumping out of that airplane. And you do it. And there's lots of things like that. There's lots of things. The language thing is interesting because it's something that has to be learned. Sitting and listening to people is something that has to be learned. If you want to do things that your body would not normally be able to do, it's something that would have to be learned. It's something that has to be trained in us. And so when we look at something like loving your enemies or loving those who oppose you, this is not a natural act. So what does that tell you based on what we looked at just then, those examples that we just had? What does it tell you if it's not a natural act? What has to happen? You've got to learn how to do it. You have to be trained in how to do it. All right? It has to happen or else it's not going to happen. 
And so whether or not you want to see it as a one-time, a two-time, a three-time, it, I said it's a perpetual abiding rule of action. So it's an all-the-time. So something has to change in us, and we have to learn something new. And a different decision needs to be made in our lives if we're going to see this happen. I mean, really happen in our life. Some kind of a different decision needs to take place. If you're still stuck at the first hurdle, which I hope none of us are still stuck at the first hurdle, it is an unnatural act. Hop over that. But then what do you do? What do you do? You have to learn. You have to be taught. You have to begin to practice it. It has to be something that you're mindful of so that you can continue to do and you can continue to live in that frame of reference. If anything's ever going to change, you're going to learn a new language. It's something that you hear all the time. It's something that you see all the time. It's something that you begin to practice to speak and you begin to practice to share your ideas in that language. It's the only way that's going to change. It's not just going to come on you one day, and probably, it could, miraculously, but for most of us, what's going to happen is the way we're going to learn language is through trial and error. And we're going to study it, we're going to hear it, and we're going to speak it. I can't tell you how many news broadcasts I've listened to in French. I can't tell you how many movies I've watched in French. Why? Because I want to learn French. I want to be able to understand it when people speak it really fast. And the only way I know to do that, the only way to train my ear to that, is to listen to people speaking it fast. It's the only way I know how to do that. Because God knows in real life, if I'm sitting there trying to talk to somebody that speaks French, they're not going to speak it really fast if they're talking to me. They're going to talk really slowly. They're going to speak really slowly, and they're going to make sure I hear the words and, and all of that. Well, how am I ever going to hear it more quickly? Well, I've got to probably turn to an artificial source, which I do. But I have to practice it. I have to practice hearing it. I have to practice speaking it. And when I do speak it, it's going to be wrong sometimes, especially when I'm tired. And whatever it is we're talking about, it, it has to be done. And you have to see this as that. Anything that's being talked about here, love those that are opposing you. Unnatural. You go down the list of things. Do good to those who hate you. Unnatural. That's unnatural. Lend, expect nothing in return, that's an unnatural act. It has to be practiced. God has to change our mind about it. We need to make a decision about it. He doesn't have to change our mind, but we need to make a different decision about it. That's a fact, if we're going to see this happen in our life. And I just want to take a few moments. I, I was just listening to a podcast the other day, and you guys ever hear Rob Bell? Now, he's authored a few books, and yeah, a long time ago. And uh, he wrote Velvet Elvis and a bunch of books. And uh, he, you know, he, he was traveling with Oprah for a while. Uh, he does the Rob Cast; it's his own podcast. But he was being interviewed on one of the podcasts I listened to, and he just recently uh, came out with a book about the Bible. And I heard him talking. And it reminded me of a few things, and a few things he had to say just really stuck out to me. And I'm just going to share a couple of things with you that I know you've heard before, but I think it's good to hear them a number of times. And it has to do with our understanding of the Bible. Like, how do you hear the Bible? And understanding that the Bible was, is a book, but it's more like a collection of books. <clears throat> it's more like a library than it is one book. And it was written by... 40 or so people over like 1,500 years or more. And they're in different places, different times, different circumstances, with different understandings. And, and they had uh, different needs. And they had different things that were going on when they were writing what they were writing. And we sometimes will look at the things that were written that long ago, 3,000 years ago, or however long, 4,000 years ago, we look at that through the lens of the way we are today, like as modern people. And we look at things that were written you know, 2,000 years ago through the eyes that we look through now. 
And we can easily say, how easy is it to say about something that was written two, 3,000 years ago, say, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Well, yeah, not to you. Not to me. Something that was written that long ago with a, that totally different kind of sensibilities than, than what we have now. Sometimes it's hard to understand. I mean, there's some things that transcend the time. There's something that transcend the, the cultures and transcend all that. But to really fully understand what's being said, you need some kind of a, a recognition. And I'm not saying you need to be a history scholar not, or anything like that, but some kind of a recognition that things were a little bit different back then. And that's okay. I wonder if people were reading some of the stuff that's being written today if they read it two, three thousand years in the future, if it would make any sense whatsoever. I just wonder. And so uh, you, you think about, and here's a, here's a very basic thing. I'll just give you one basic thing to think about. Who usually writes history? Who are, who are the ones? Hmm? The winners. The winners. Uh, now, the, the victors usually write the history. Now, what's really kind of funny about the Bible is that the Bible and the collection of the writings in the Bible, a lot of it is written by the losers. In other words, when they're writing from captivity in Babylonia, are they the winners or the losers by any stretch of the imagination as far as physically? Were they the winners or the losers? They're the losers. They were taken off into captivity. They were basically enslaved by this other culture and taken you know, a bunch of miles away and were living in this other place. They, they were completely defeated, and they were hauled off. Yet those are people that are writing in the Bible. You look at the New Testament. you got Jesus leading this, this counter-revolutionary kind of a movement that was going on. But what was the state? of Israel at the time when the whole New Testament was being written. They were enslaved by the Romans. And they're the losers. They're not victorious. They're not the ones that are, are riding high on and, 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 and in charge of their own fates even. They're under the rule of Rome, who has a puppet king that, that is just corrupt as all get out, ruling over them through the Herodians and the, the Herod family that were, were ruling over Israel. They were puppets of the Roman Empire, out for whatever they could get. And so here you have these people that are under the, the corrupt rule of Herod, the Herods, yet under the corrupt rule of the Romans, and they're the ones that are writing this. And I want you to think about that for a second, and think about the fact that we as Americans, we, we're the victors. And when we decide we're rewriting or we're writing history or whatever, and you say you read a history of World War II or you read a history of whatever, World War I or whatever you want to read, you're reading a history that's written by the victors. Which is going to sound a lot more, it's going to sound differently than the, the history that's being written by the losers. Period. And so, from that perspective, we're taking a, a, a culture and a book that's written by the ones that are defeated, in many cases, not all the time, but in many cases. And we're trying to look at that through a lens of the people that we're the victors. We won. So it's hard for us to really understand it. And we try to change it. And we try to make it something that it's not so that we can understand it. We try to change the perspective around to our perspective when it's not our perspective. It's theirs. And they are who they are. And so from that perspective and understanding that, you know, when he says, love those who oppose you, 
He's not talking about from a position of power. He's talking about from a position where you're already the loser. It's an even stronger statement. Do you understand what I mean by this? Because if you've got people opposing you that can't really do anything to you, how big a threat is that to you? It might be an inconvenience, right? So and that's how, that's how those who inconvenience you become your enemies. Do you understand? They're not really your enemies. They're just inconvenient. But when you twist this to understand it from the perspective of the winner, right? that's how it gets twisted. And that's what I'm saying. These words can't just mean what you want them to mean. They really do have meaning. There's really a bigger idea behind what Jesus is teaching here than just you know, whatever we want it to be. And so the idea behind this is that who, who's going to oppose Jesus later on in Luke? We're in chapter 6. Who's going to oppose him? The religious leader is going to oppose him. Who else is going to oppose him? He's got the whole Sanhedrin. He's got Herod that doesn't like him. And he's got the Romans who want nothing to do with it but are going to keep the peace no matter what. Is he in a position, from a physical standpoint, is he in a position of weakness or strength? Weakness. Right? From a physical standpoint. And so he says, love those who oppose you. In other words, keep on loving. Make this a perpetual abiding rule of action that you will keep loving those who oppose you. And who are you? You're from the point of weakness. These are people really, really opposing you and can hurt you. God's got to change our minds about that. I guess he doesn't have to, but we've got to make some decisions about that. We've got to begin to practice this if we're going to see anything change in our lives. Next thing he says, do good to those who hate you. That's really unnatural, right? Isn't that unnatural to do good to people who hate us? But again, what's the perspective? You're, you're the perspective of weakness. They hate you, which means they're probably going to do bad things to you. But do good for them. Again, that's an unnatural thing. And yet, this is the very principle of grace being infused into us. So we have this principle, this love principle, being infused into us, and then we have this grace principle being infused into us. How? By actually living it. By making a decision that this is the kind of life that we're going to live. By making a decision that this is who we're going to be. By making a decision that this is what we're going to practice in our life. I mean, reality of it is, we're going to really practice this. Because it's not going to come naturally. Get over that. Get over that thought. This is just going to happen somehow. It's not just going to happen. You have to practice it. You have to make a decision about it. This passage talks about a reward. It says, your reward will be great. What's your reward? What was Jesus' reward? Yeah, he didn't get rich, did he? No? It wasn't success, necessarily, in the eyes of the world. It wasn't power. It wasn't anything that the world values, so you can't look at it like that. It said, but your reward will be great. Well, what is that? Well, it's a share in the divine. It's a share in the life of God. That's what you get from doing this. In other words, it's an infusion of grace. It's an infusion of love into our life. It's real mercy for us. And I mean real mercy. The reason people can't receive mercy, at least one big reason they can't receive it, is because they never give it and they don't know what it is. They can't understand it. Mercy. It's just some word, whatever that means. But as you begin to love those that are opposing you from a point of weakness and practicing that, as you begin to do good for those who hate you from a point of weakness and really practicing that and living in that, then you hear a word like mercy, and that really has some kind of meaning. 
Because you're living it. Because you're showing it. It's being infused into your life. And then you hear, well, God shows mercy. Thankfully, yeah, he does. Yeah. But that means something. That means that he's made a decision to show mercy, and he's practicing it. That's what he does. You see, getting over that that thing, well, why would God show mercy to me? Well, why would you show mercy to those who oppose you? Why would you do good to those who hate you? Why? Well, you've made a decision to. You're practicing it. Why does God show you mercy? Because he decided to, and he's practicing it. See, you're sharing in the divine when you do that. That's that sharing in the life of God that, that he wants us to share in. So I look at Luke uh, 6.27. Luke 6.27. It's just something that kind of backs some of this up. And so he repeats it again here in Luke 6.35. You see it again. That's usually a good sign he wants you to hear it. When Jesus repeats himself, like in eight verses like that, he wants you to hear it. So he said it again. Now there's this idea in here that says, lend and expect nothing in return. Well, the idea of, of lending, that's giving, according to Jesus. That's giving. And so when he says lend, he's saying you're giving. So give. And that's in his spirit. That's in, in his way of doing things as we give. <clears throat> and we can't let the absence of immediate profit make us lose heart. In other words, why do you give? Why do you give? And this is what he's saying here. We give most of the time because we expect something in return. In other words, you know, we might call it whatever we want to call it. You can call it recognition. You can call it common courtesy. You can call it whatever it is. But we give for a reason. And usually that reason isn't a very good one. And Jesus is teaching and giving according to Jesus is that we just give. Well, what profit is there in that? None. Zero. Zero, because it's not a profit-making venture. It's just giving. It's just giving. So what if the person doesn't say thank you? Doesn't matter. What if they don't seem appreciative? Doesn't matter. What if they don't write a thank you note? Doesn't matter. That's hard. That's hard, and yet I think I think in the way that Jesus gives, he, good thing he doesn't expect all that, right? He's just a giver. He just gives, and and the rest of that that whole idea about expecting nothing in return, that you can translate that. The words actually mean in nothing lose hope. That's the literal translation of that. In nothing, lose hope. So in other words, don't give up hope. Don't despair. Do not despair. We're called to give and not to lose hope. Not to despair. And and even taking that a little bit further, drive no person, drive no man to despair. So not only are we not losing hope, not only are we not despairing, but we are also expected to drive no one else into despair because of any circumstance going on with us. A couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Galatians 6, 9. Another verse, Isaiah 29, 19. 
First Corinthians thirteen seven. Do we have that? First Corinthians thirteen seven. Okay, that's talking about love. Always hopes. Always. That's what love is. Okay, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. All right. Yeah, in other words, don't live. You can't enter into despair. Do you understand what he's saying there? It's just being reiterated in the writings of Paul. Is that what Jesus said here is like, we do not lose hope. We do not despair. Okay, Isaiah twenty nine nineteen. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. All right. So, again, Isaiah prophesying to Israel, Israel facing an, a, an enemy that is completely overbearing to them, and... They are, once again, losers. So why is this verse important? Well, because who's he speaking to? Losers. And so he says, even though you're going to face these circumstances, even though you're going to have these things happen, these circumstances or whatever it's going to be, even from the lowest point of weakness, we will not lose hope. And so, as he says, give. Well, give. Well, I don't have any more. Give. What do I get back? Nothing. Nothing. Do you see how that's going to require a change in the way we see things? Because that just seems like a sucker, right? Sure. Sure. But that would require us to see something differently. To practice something differently. The last thing he says, well, it says God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Why? Huh? Because he makes a decision. He makes a decision, and he practices it. That's why. Why are we kind to the ungrateful? Why would we, or how could we be kind to the ungrateful and the evil? How? By making a decision and practicing it. Again, that's how we share in the divine. And we share in the life of God. It is not in my nature to do that at all. In fact, when I see people I love or I care about getting taken advantage of, I get angry. Angry. It's not in my nature. I have to make a different decision. I mean, there's a reason Peter cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. That night. I'm sure he was angry. Yes, see someone you love being just arrested and taken away like that for no reason. It was unjust. It was unfair. He had been betrayed by someone close to him. All those things. I mean, I could just see, I mean, that's angry angry and yet Peter would have to come to a place in his own life where he would stretch out his hands and stretch out his arms and be crucified which he eventually did but that's a decision that he had to make and a practice he had to take up in order to get to that place 
And the same is true for us. I mean, these are really, really hard, really hard lessons for flesh and blood. Because we don't live this way. But we can make a different decision. Just like those other unnatural acts that we talked about. We can make a decision to see something differently. We can make a decision to learn how to do this and to practice it. We can make that decision. God is kind. I mean, just stop there. God is kind. I want to be kind. And it's not he's kind to people who are kind to him. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's the kind of kindness he has. So go back to the statement, I want to be kind. That's a harder statement. Two more verses, Psalm 34, 8. And 1 Peter 2, 3. Psalm 34, 8, 1 Peter 2, 3. Alright. 1 Peter 2, 3. So in Peter, what you see is a quote from Psalm 34, 8. He's just quoting that. And that verse is kind of an interesting verse because it invites us, in a figurative sense, to really taste God and see that he's good. In other words, we are actually digging into it for, into him for ourselves. We're not just taking other people's words for it. We're not just hearing about it. It's not just a testimony that we're reading. It's not just something the Bible says. But what the invitation is, is for you and for I, that, and for me to, to, to really jump in and taste him for who he is and see that he's good for ourselves. And that's both an Old Testament and a New Testament concept. Because grounded in Jesus' love is everything we're talking about. And if he's good, and, and what he's, who he is is good, and, and that includes his nature and what's in him and who he is, and that's who we're being made into, then we have to come to some kind of place in our lives where even the things that we think are hard, like this, they're good too. It's all good. In the end, in verse 36, it says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So again, this is all about mercy. And, and there's nothing stingy about it. It's full and plenty. And there's, there, there's all this love, and, and God's calling us to that love. He's calling us to, to be compassionate people, to be full of mercy, to be kind. But what that's going to look like is not necessarily what we want it to look like or what would be easiest for it to look like or what would be the most convenient for it to look like. And that's part of the issue that we take on ourselves if we're really going to be bearing the image of God in our life. This is what we're taking on. If we're going to share in the divine, if we're going to share in who Jesus is, the life of God, then these are some of the things that we're sharing in. We are sharing in. These are some of the things that set us toward the supernatural, that set us toward the divine in our life, the manifestation of the divine in the human. This is a huge step in that direction as we begin to practice these things. Because everything else, everybody else does. Those aren't the divine. Those are just normal, human Everybody does that. 
You know, and it's hard to, to look at natural human functions and say, yeah, but isn't that godly? You know, we're going to eat in a godly fashion. We're going to drink in a godly fashion. You know, I mean, I mean, those are natural human behaviors. You're going to be selfish in a godly fashion. You're going to be angry in a godly fashion. You're going to take your revenge in a godly fashion. I mean, you can make something up with that, but really those aren't godly traits. The divine is something else. The divine is supernatural. And somehow, some way, real people, real people were able to take hold of this and actually do it somehow. Decision, practice, live in their life. They were able to do it. Perfectly? Doubtful. All the time? Probably not. But some? Definitely. Definitely. But that's what practice is all about. It at least needs to be something in our head. And so if I, if I could do anything tonight, what I was hoping would, would be that I could at least get it in your head. I can't convince you to do it. I can't uh, you know, give you exactly any way to, to have you do it or anything else, but I, I just really believe that uh, getting it in our head is, is, is something that's really important. I got one more verse for you. It's Matthew 5:48. Matthew 5:48. Cuz the two verses were verse 36 and this verse were kind of written the same way. And there's a couple words in there that I want you to interchange in your mind and let them interchange in your mind. Somebody have that? What does verse 36 say? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And so just take those words and, and, and put them in together in your mind. Perfect. Doesn't that seem so impossible? But what he's saying there is be kind. Even your Father is kind. And that, that's something that's beyond our natural grasp. But it's possible in Christ. It's possible. Perfect and kind. I think God's calling us to become more compassionate and more merciful. I really do. But that's a decision that you're going to need to make. And that's a practice that we all are going to have to start. It's going to happen. Anybody have any questions or anything you'd like to say? It's always a, a hard word for me to teach something like this because I, yeah, you look at me and I've, I've got all kinds of issues going on. So, I'm not a good example. And I don't like to teach things that I can't be an example of. I don't say can't, but I'm not a great example of. But I'm in this boat, too. And I'm, I, I, I'm making decisions, and I'm practicing. But I'm a long ways away. And so I, it's uncomfortable for me. And you want to talk about other things? I can talk to you all night about those. That's not uncomfortable for me. This just is. And so I, my, I guess my biggest word is like, let, let's do this, but let's do it together. And let's start moving in the right direction. I really believe that's something God has for us. Anybody have any questions or anything?
All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for just your word to us. Jesus, you spoke them. You spoke all this a couple thousand years ago, and this was a teaching that you were giving your followers. God, it's a it's it's hard to our natural man. It's really hard. Because it goes in the face of things that seem normal or seem natural to us. And so, God, I'd ask you that we could make some bigger decisions. Some better decisions with our lives and our reactions and the way that we're choosing to live. God, I thank you for your mercy over us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your compassion. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for doing good into our lives. I thank you for being kind to us. Thanks. God, I I just pray that as we make a different decision with our lives, as we begin to practice these things, I thank you for the touch there is with the divine. I thank you for that. I thank you for the touch there is with your life in us. And God, I pray for more. I pray for more of the divine and more life. As we practice loving, as we practice giving, As we practice being kind and being full of mercy, God, let's pray more. Thank you for the opportunity to share your life, to share in the divine with you. That little touch, that that joining together with Jesus. I thank you for that opportunity tonight. Thanks, God. Wherever we're at tonight, wherever we're at tonight, I just want to encourage you to move forward in this. Wherever you're at tonight, Let's begin to move forward together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree with saying amen. 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 Thanks for coming tonight. See you again.